morning again. This is the second in a series of podcasts from the Minnesota Extension IPM program at the University of Minnesota, where we are focusing on a variety of pest management issues this spring and early summer for 2018. Last week, if you had a chance to catch it, we talked about black cutworm. Given the high numbers of moths coming into the state, as detected by our trapping network, we talked to Bruce Potter about how that trapping system has been working this year and the concern that we have with late planted corn. In the past few days, we have some reports of cutting happening in young corn in both Dakota County and Renville County this past year. So we would encourage growers, crop consultants to continue to scout for black cutworm and the cutting activity that could be happening right now throughout southern Minnesota. Today, we are really happy to have Dr. Jeff Gonzalez with us, an extension wheat scientist with University of Minnesota and professor of agronomy, to talk about some of the current concerns with weed management, herbicides, herbicide drift, etc., that are a very big issue in this state as well as much of the Midwest. Our primary host today will be Dave Nikolai, again joining us, Extension Educator and Coordinator of the Ag Professional Program here in Minnesota. We also are happy to have Ryan Miller with us today, an Extension Educator based out of Rochester. So welcome everybody. And Dave, I think you've got a lot of good questions for Jeff. Look forward to the conversation. Well, thank you, Bill. Appreciate uh, the introduction here. We're recording this podcast in the morning on Wednesday, uh, May 30th. And as uh, Bill indicated, I have my co-worker here, uh, Ryan Miller, out of the Rochester area. And he's been involved with struggling to get crops planted down in that area for research and educational use. We're going to talk a little bit about that and his experience and, and the weed growth. But before that, I wanted to introduce a very good friend of ours in terms of Ryan and our working relationship. I guess basically we want to introduce our boss, uh, Dr. <laughs> Jeff Gonzalez. And uh, Jeff, you want to just give a little introduction and, uh, on your background if some of the folks don't know how long you've been here at the University of Minnesota and what your current job classification is and, and job duties and where you spend your time. Dave, uh, I spend my time in a lot of areas, but as an extension weed scientist, I've been here since 1986, so I'm working on over 32 years in Minnesota, working for extension and uh, being a professor here at the University of Minnesota. As far as job duties, it's both extension applied and applied research in corn soybean weed management. Been focusing on that this entire time. As you alluded to, I am the supervisor, the program leader, if you will, for the crops team, which has 10 regional educators, two of which are on this podcast and another eight around the state. That and a communications person that we do a lot of our web and podcasting work through. So it keeps me busy. I'm not bored. Well, I don't think we're going to have a problem with that this uh, this past week. I'm sure your phone has been ringing and probably will ring a little bit more here as we get into the uh, weed control uh, season, so to speak. Ryan is up here from uh, Rochester. And Ryan, last night, I know that in the Dakota County area, we had uh, an inch and a half of rain in the last 24 hours. Talking with uh, one of our climatologists across the hall from us today in the Soils Building, they indicated that Dodge County had over three inches. So uh, a lot of people had a lot of rain. I know down the Martin County area, they're probably 
just thankful that they want the rain to shut off for a while. Other areas of the state, though, were dry, but it does seem the rain was uh, widespread. What's it look like in, in southeastern Minnesota in terms of crop growth and weed growth, and what are you presently seeing and having to deal with? Well, it's been a really challenging spring as far as the frequency of precipitation to, to get field work accomplished in terms of planting and, and herbicide applications. On the flip side of that, we've seen herbicides that went on really activate well in terms of the pre-emergence herbicides, and so had pretty good weed control where people managed to get planted and put on their, their pre-emergent herbicides. It's been very good when fields have been planted as far as the crop growth. We've seen during these warm conditions really robust and fast crop growth, but unfortunately that then couples with the, the fields where due to the precip we had to prioritize planting over herbicide applications, and now we're stuck without pre-emergent herbicide on in those weeds like the heat and humidity just as much as the crop. Jeff, we've talked for years about the need and, and the benefits from pre-emergence herbicides is is this another year for the for the books, so to speak, where it's really been valuable? Uh, where do you see it from your perspective in, in terms of the rate of adoption? And is it working like it should? And, and what are some things uh, people should be thinking about here, the balance of the spring? Well, the rate of adoption of the pre-emergent herbicides, initially the 21st century, if you will, really took off first in corn as people realized that Early season weed control was really significant for corn yield because of nitrogen competition primarily, but it's also now really picked up in soybeans. I think last indication we were at about 80% adoption rates in soybeans as well. And to be honest with you, I think the driver of that was our applied research was out there. Uh, People could see the benefits of the pre-emergence herbicide, but the real driver was we have especially in soybeans, real challenges with weeds like water hemp, giant ragweed, common ragweed that are resistant to multiple classes of herbicides. So in a way, the pre-emergence is absolutely essential to get off on the right foot. Well, let's let's jump ahead. Uh, we'll talk about a couple of weeds, but you know, one that, that is a problem across the state, and it certainly has been increasing, not only in the western area, but in the eastern and now in the southeastern area, is, is water hemp. Right. Now, both yourself and, and Ryan have been involved in some of the supplied research, but if folks are dealing with water hemp and have it positively identified in their fields in the past or looking at it this spring, what are some strategies that they should think about from pre-emergence application and some options here, particularly in soybeans, as well as post-emergence options here as well, and thinking about and dealing with a possibility of glyphosate resistance and other resistance that might be encumbering there. So let's center a little, little bit on water hemp right now and, and talk about that because it's starting to come on and we expect obviously more in the future here in the next couple of weeks. Well, Dave, the, uh, the big driver here with water hemp is it does like heat and we've supplied that now. And when you add the soil moisture with that, they will start really emerging and growing quickly. And actually, you could expand that to all the weeds under these temperatures. The growing degree days are such they'll really take off. But, you know, the real issue which separates water hemp from a lot of other weeds that we concern ourselves with is a lot about its duration of emergence. So once it starts, it could easily go well into July, even into early August as far as emergence. So one of the big issues here 
is simply the fact that if you have late planted beans or corn for that matter, and you do not have good canopy closure, you start to lose that shading potential. So you're going to need something with some residual activity down to get some good weed control. So one of the challenges Ryan mentioned is across the board here is we have places like Rochester along the I-90 corridor where it's been very wet. Delayed planting going on, but then we have places up north where it's been dry. So you've got all across the board with different scenarios and different concerns. So dry weather is an activation issue. Good news is it's not a wasted treatment. When it does rain, the herbicides will activate. You will get weed control over the weeds that are targeted for that specific herbicide. The thing that will happen, though, is if you're getting emergence before that activation really takes hold, you're going to be doing an early post-emergence weed control. And remember this always, what we've learned from all our research, there's less penalty for erring on the early side of weed control than on the late side. I'm going to flip weeds on you now, Dave. Think of lamb's quarter, early emerging weed. It's already pretty large. It's already pretty large. So then you'll have a whole cohort coming up that are really small. The small ones with a lot of your post applications, you'll, you'll target and do well. Those large ones, they might not be that impressed. I've seen that down in Ryan and Lisa's plots in Rochester on a regular basis. So these timing issues then really come into play. So it's really a challenge. The post-emergence across the board, always remember this simple rule. With any of the weeds, four inches or less, and really from a growth stage to reduce crop injury potential, reduce weed crop competition, and to also improve the efficacy of the herbicide. Generally, if you can target V4, corn, soybeans as well, that's the ideal. We know weather and time gets in the way, but that's what we're shooting for. So, Jeff, I guess uh, kind of the common question now, we in southeast uh, water hemp start to emerge around May 20th and just kind of start emerging. Mm -hmm. How does a grower go about assessing the risk of herbicide resistance within in their uh, water hemp populations in terms of the group 14 and, and, uh, and glyphosate resistance? It would be really nice to know that ahead of time, Ryan. <laughs> but um, generally, this is where you look at adding the group. If, if you can still put a pre on, or you know, if, if they're not emerged, the group 15s, the duels, warrants, outlooks, that type of chemistry, that sort of is a really sustainable, been a good player as far as, and a lot of them are packaged mixed with other types of chemistry. So, you know, one of the things, if you're still looking at that, that's an option. And the group 15s can also be put on in a layered approach with a post-emergence herbicide. So if you're out doing an early post with Liberty or with glyphosate, then putting that on with the group 15s, you're getting the weeds that are up, hopefully, and you have some residual weed control. Unfortunately, this knowing the population of which resistance and what isn't is, you know, you could have all of the above in any given field. Some could be susceptible, some could be resistant. So that's a real challenge, Ryan. I, I don't have a super answer for you in that regard. In post-emergence, when you're going that way, then again, 
mixtures of sites of action would be the way to go. In corn, you have the group 27s, the pigment inhibitors like Callisto, that type of chemistry that you can use. You have the dicambas in corn. And, you know, you can use the dicambas now in soybeans early post-emergence as well. So that there are some other options. You know, another thing that's happening with the weather right now, Jeff, is it's been very moist. It's been very warm. Warm, obviously, in, in germination. We can talk about the weed seed bank a little bit later. But for some of our soybean growers that have may not have had the opportunity to get that pre-emergence on on a timely basis, not everything is equal out there in terms of the labels. Um, some of them are rather restrictive right. within three days of, uh, I believe, it's an emergence and so forth, and what you have from a timing standpoint. Without getting into specific labels, are there some general rules that people should think about if they have been out of the field and can't get back in, and now the beans are popping out of the ground and so forth? You know, we can really run into some trouble here in terms of perhaps soybean injury. Right couple of things. One is, in general, the group 14 herbicides, the PPO inhibitors that are soil applied, like the authority group, and then also things like Optil, Sharpen, chemistry that has a lot of the group 14 chemistry in there. You have three days after planting, or more importantly is to note, if you start to see the soybeans emerge, especially at the crook stage or above, and you put those herbicides on, you could you could kill the plant, or at least severely reduce that stand. The exceptions to that are things like Anthem Max and the Fomasafen products like Prefix, that sort of chemistry. You can go in that in that window. You have a little more wiggle room, but the limiting th- thing there is is a little bit more on rate and geographic location as far as the impact and carryover. So one can always default to saying this, Dave, read the label before applying, okay? But when all the pressure's going on, that can be a real challenge. Well, that's certainly true, given the fact that some of our listeners may be in central Minnesota and northwestern Minnesota, sometimes outside of that magical line of I-94. And those labels are restrictive, and some things, as you mentioned, you cannot do. So you have to, first of all, know where you are. In, in terms of that in the label, but really read closely uh, w- with that. So, yeah, you, you actually uh, brought up something that I talked to a farmer last week, and there was a little bit of confusion around uh, a term that we often throw around, uh, are your soybeans cracking? Huh. And and his idea of what that is and what it really is was, was different. He was talking more or thinking more along the lines of as the seed starts to swell and, and the cotyledons split, and it, it starts that initiation doesn't really refer to that does it no it's it's more about exposure of the plant material to the herbicide itself but you know if you start to see that those hypocotyls just starting to crack out of the ground that could even be dangerous because think about if you were unfortunate enough you sprayed it and then you got a heavy rain washed it into the furrow you know some bad things can happen there and that's what makes makes this all so tricky even in this podcast conversation, is hopefully we're talking to an audience that's all across the board in the state, and we're trying to talk about all the different scenarios. Too dry, too wet, late planting, uh, everything's working fine because, you know, I got the pre-on uh, just right, and it's all activated. So the challenges are there. The one thing I was thinking about 
over the weekend when it was so hot. Hot and dry also can create issues, especially post-emergence herbicides. As far as, and we may be hitting another hot trend here, is that's why we want to also keep our windows of application on smaller crops so we have fewer issues. A lot of the systemic herbicides, those that move in the plant, like dicamba and like glyphosate, those sort of things, if it's under stress, the plant's under stress, the weed is under stress, we may not be taking it up and moving it around in the same way. Whereas on the other hand, something like Liberty, Liberty's highest effectiveness is under hot conditions, hot and humid, good, good uptake, a lot of sunshine, and it really works well. Well, you brought up uh, one product here. We want to spend a couple of minutes on that, and that, of course, is dicamba. And we think about our uh, crops that have the trait, particularly soybeans, mm -hmm. um, as well as other crops, though, that they can actually spray over that. But, you know, we've had some big changes in that labeling in Minnesota, and can you summarize briefly what growers should be thinking about this year? I mean, in, in terms of the late planting and still getting the crop up, but we have that label that's still out there, and especially in Minnesota, we have some special precautions. So let's just summarize some of those and, and some cautions and so forth and where it would fit best and where it would not. I'll try, Dave. I'm not going into the great depth of the label, as you mentioned. I think most people have had the training. They understand the wind, the buffers all of these other restrictions. I'm just going to focus on the 24C aspects, which are the add-ons, if you will, to the Minnesota requirements, which is a June 20th cutoff date for the application of dicamba on soybeans for the, those products registered. And also the other is the 85 degree temperature date. Let's just look at the June 20th. Um, some people are saying, you know, this is going to mess me up because I really would like to put it on a little bit later. But the weeds, if we, as we got done talking about, are really coming up. They're really emerging. All the buttons are pushed, Dave, for effectiveness on small weeds. So really, this June 20th date, I don't consider an impediment to doing what we have to do. The dicamba should work very well. In fact, its strength is on the weeds like the lamb's quarter and the ragweed species, kochia if they're not resistant. Uh, and then its actual inherent weakness has always been water hemp. So actually going earlier in June is going to be a better th thing for you than going later. But you will have to keep in mind that it doesn't have a lot of soil residual. So you will still need these residual type herbicides that we're talking about. We're getting kind of toward the end of our podcast. Uh, Ryan, do you have any last points or questions? for Jeff, for things that you would like to bring up. Uh, I know that you're going to be having a uh, opportunity for hands-on training and, and a field day coming up here in early July. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct, Dave. So you get a chance to, to visit with Jeff and, and see some of what's going on in terms of weed management trials within the state. In particular, we're talking about the crop management tour uh, that occurs in Rochester at the research plots on July 3rd this year with an 8.30 registration time. So uh, mark your calendars. That's the date we've reserved for an opportunity for farmers and ag retailers and, and, and such to come in and, and look at some of uh, what we've done in terms of uh, trials and, and, and some of the results there. Well, very good. I know that uh, kind of in, in closing, some farmers may be distressed at those 
giant ragweed and uh, those lambs quarters that came up early, Jeff, and uh, are out there. But now the pre has been activated and starting to work. But is there still opportunity to do something? And it's they're fairly large, you know, four, five, six inches. But should we um, cash in our chips and, and leave the farm at this point? Or is there still a future here with those two weeds? There's always hope, Dave. There's always hope. You know, in corn, I think you have some really good post-emergence options that can still be played out. Again, you know, when you're into the situations in soybeans, some of your best go-tos are still your assuming resistance isn't an issue, your glyphosate or your liberty, depending on your technology. Then you just basically have to adjust the rate and the adjuvants to act accordingly. And there is always, also always this tool that you can use. It's called a cultivator. And this tool is being used more and more in the state of Minnesota. And again, I think in the places, it's, it's in response to some of these resistant weed issues where they, especially with resistance, trying to go for zero threshold seed production to get their weed seed bank down. And so I, I'm encouraged by some of the abilities to adopt a little more flexibility in, in addressing some of these. So there's, there's always hope. Well, on that note, I think we're going to close our program for the day. We appreciate, again, having our guest uh, co-host here, Ryan Miller, from the uh, Rochester Regional Office on hand with the University of Minnesota Extension. And, of course, our featured guest, uh, Dr. Jeff Gonzalez with the University of Minnesota Extension, a weed scientist in corn and soybeans. So this is Dave Nikolai concluding the second in our series of integrated pest management. Uh, this will also be available on iTunes along with the first installment with uh, Bruce Potter, and we talked last week about black cutworms. So if you missed that, you can go back to that particular one and uh, pick that up as well. So we'll be featuring these in a number of different commodity groups and organizations. And so with that, uh, we will stay tuned, and next week I have another important topic in integrated pest management here from the University of Minnesota. Thank you. 